please uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. We are making our way through the book of Corinthians. Um, in August, uh, yes, I can't plan that far enough ahead that I know that by August I will still be in 1 Corinthians. That will be our third year to this book, so we've all got it memorized, we know exactly what it says, and life is good, right? So uh, we are looking at verses 4 through 7, okay? Verses 4 through 7 is what we're focusing on, and yet I, I title this, The Sources and Purposes of the Spirituals. Okay, what, 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 what is the source of spiritual gifts? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? If you look at your outline, you'll see that there are varieties. And then the second point is that there is one source and one purpose. I'll keep going back to one source and one purpose. Uh, those of you who have been with us know that in verses 1 through 3, I kept dealing with one source and one purpose also. That is key to understanding this. Okay, uh, The church today is absolutely confused about spiritual gifts. And yet the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I, want you, I don't want you to be unaware about this. And I have, in the years that I have been reading this book now, to teach it, uh, it, it is really amazing that uh, spiritual gifts are actually quite simple. There's not a lot of complication to it. Uh, the complication comes when people have heard something, uh, and maybe even in some cases experienced something, uh, and try to figure out, you know, how does that line up with what I'm hearing now? Um, please understand this. Anyone who would teach spiritual gifts outside of the full letter of 1 Corinthians is going to miss something. Okay? Secondly, if they teach spiritual gifts outside of the context of chapter 12, 13, and 14... I guarantee you they're going to get it wrong. Because spiritual gifts is dealt with in three chapters. Okay? But it's also dealt with a church that is struggling with self-centeredness. All right? And if you lose those things, you're going to get into trouble. So I began last week teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. I'll go back through that. But I'm going to ask the Lord for mercy and power at this point in my day. Father, we come before you to seek this amazing enabling that you have given your people. And yet, Father, I pray that um, you say the words that need to be said. That, Father, you touch the hearts that need to be touched, that you open the ears of those who need to hear, that you open the heart, the soul, the mind of your precious bride, your church, that we may lean full weight on the amazement of the body of Christ. Father, I just praise you for this time. I praise you for your book. I praise you for your Holy Spirit. Father, I am so grateful for your church. The incarnation of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying creation. Thank you, Father. To your glory and praise. Amen. Spiritual gifts have become... A point of controversy, um, and everybody says it just happened in the early 1900s. Uh, some lady in Topeka, Kansas, began speaking in an ecstatic speech, uh, and everybody said that's the gift of tongues. Was birthed what you know as the Pentecostal Church, uh, game full-blown movement of the charismatics, as it is known. 
Um, I don't like that terminology. I like uh, experiential better uh, because I am a charismatic, meaning that I am under grace. That's what charisma means. Uh, and I am under grace. Uh, I live my every breath I get is a gracious gift from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But I do see people moving on experience. If you put experience as the tool to interpret Holy Scripture, you are in serious trouble. Okay? I shared with this many times. Uh, many years ago, I was at Three Rivers Stadium. I seen Pink Floyd there, and that was an experience. Okay? Jesus wasn't there. Okay? So, I mean, he may have been passing by, but he, he, he definitely was not interested in, in what Pink Floyd was doing. Part of the problem that exists is that in the body of Christ today, the church today, I see a huge schism that exists. Okay? And what I will take it is, one side is the experiential people, and the other guys is what I would call the liturgical people. Okay, one side, these experiential people, um, and excuse the way I'm going to phrase this, but this is what I see. They blame the Holy Spirit for everything. Okay, and the more the more bizarre it is, the more it must be the Holy Spirit. You go to the liturgical side of it and they don't even want to mention him. They are afraid to say anything because what if somebody thinks we're charismatic? Okay, and yet the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit is going to do some bizarre stuff. Okay, and let me tell you something. He has. He is. He will. Okay, last week, I'm just going to go through these 11 things real quickly. I'm going to throw a couple of more on there, and then I'm going to jump into where we're going to go. Okay, what does the Holy Spirit do with a believer? You're a child of God. What is he doing? Now, listen, I'm just going to touch these because I preached this last week. You'll have to get the tape. And this is one of them politically incorrect sermons. I had like 14-point sermon last week. And everybody says, you can't do that. I got a letter from somebody that says, if you give more than three, you lose the people. I.e., what is the Holy Spirit doing? Listen, if you guys are expecting me to do this, we're all goofy. <laughs> okay? Holy Spirit, what does He do? First, He regenerates us. You know what that means. Born you again. You're a new creation. You are not your own. You have all of a sudden, all the price tags of life have changed. Okay, He regenerates you. He not only regenerates you, but the second thing He does is He assures you. You take comfort in Him. You take counsel in Him. You, he assures you that you are a child of God. He adopts us. The third thing, you have been grafted in. Writer of Romans says, Paul says the Roman church. But he grafts you in. You have been adopted. You are sons and daughters of the Lord. He seals you. That means that he puts the sovereign seal on you. They used to put buildings up and they'd put a piece of clay on it and said, who is this, the, the owner of this? And they'd take the ring, their signet ring, and they'd press that in there and pull it out and that clay would dry and boom, right there it is. They used to do it on title deeds and legal documents. They would seal that stuff. You who are saved today and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, you are sealed. Which brings me to the next part. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I love that. I have a book of Shakespeare. Okay, when I was growing up, I was tormented in high school to have to read Shakespeare. And you always had to read Macbeth and explain what it meant. I have no idea what Macbeth means. And to this day, it's still one of the challenges of my life. Uh, but Mel Gibson 
did Macbeth. And I thought, dude, I'm going to finally figure it out. He did it. I still don't have a clue. He did it in the same stupid language. And so I still don't know. But if I had old Bill Shakespeare to sit down and say, what were you thinking? I could get it done. The Holy Spirit, he does what? He indwells me. So when I get to the scriptures and I go, man, I don't get that. I can ask the author. Okay, I like that. Especially as feeble as I am. But not only does he indwell us, he frees us. I am no longer a slave to my flesh. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer a slave to these things of the world. I am free in Christ. I have a freedom, and literally this letter talks about it. Don't let your freedom master you. Okay, I am free in Christ. I have a freedom now that I can't even understand at times. Okay, not only does he free me, he empowers me. Do you understand that? And I want you to grab a hold of that for a second. How much energy did God spend to create existence? Did he break a sweat? No. Mm -mm. He didn't. Okay. Do you understand that that is the power source that exists in the body of Christ? So, So why would you want to come up with a scheme to help build the church? All right. Not only does he empower us, that power is so massive, he can literally make you holy. You know what that means, right? I can stand before a holy God rightly. Okay. But that holiness means that I'm now different than the world. And yet, what do I see the church trying to do? Be just like the world. I started to a dear friend of mine. I said, buddy, you keep treating the bride of Christ like a business and she's going to respond like a business. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if you don't get the bottom line up, they're going to get a new CEO. Okay. And I mean, if that's what you're going to do, let's get on the stock market. Okay. I mean, everybody else says you're making money there. Anyway, but he, he will make you holy. You will be different. Here's another thing that he does. Ninth thing. He reveals truth to us. Okay. He illuminates us. He opens our eyes to it. We see this thing. I can read this and say, wow. I mean, there's times, now listen, when I finally, it dawned on me why Ezekiel, I shared this in my Sunday school class, why Ezekiel, the Lord says, I'm going to take that that you love the most, and I don't want you to grieve or weep or nothing. And I always thought, well, what was behind that? He finally showed it to me. Okay, and I'm not telling that, that, that. okay, Um, but he reveals truth to you. He'll give it to you. He's going to show it to you. Why? Listen, I see people who struggle with the truth of God. And they say, well, I just don't understand that. And my next question to them is, do you read it? And they say, well, no. Well, you ain't going to understand it if you don't read it. I, I, you know, you don't need dictionaries. You don't need commentaries. You don't read the thing. It's amazing. And I, I, I try to get people. Never mind. That's, that's useless. That's trying to get your kids to take out, clean up their room. Anyway, but he reveals truth to us. Not only does he reveal truth to us in that revealing of that truth to us, he will guide us. Verse 10, or the 10th thing. He guides us. I can lean on him. He's very specific in our lives. And if you don't understand that, the 11th thing was that he will intercede for you. He will pray for you. Did you understand that? Do you know the Holy Spirit knows the exact will of God? Did you know that? He knows it, exactly what God wants. So there's times when I don't know how to pray. But you know what? I am indwelt with the empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, don't worry, I got you covered. I know what to pray. I know what to pray. Okay? 
Some other things that I didn't mention. He guards us. He helps us. He produces fruit in us. He restrains and convicts of sin. That's cool too. Okay. Now that's what he does on an individual level, which sounds pretty good. All right. But I want you to also understand a couple of things in the corporate level. Okay. He is the source of fellowship. He's the source of fellowship. All right. When I say fellowship, I'm talking koinonia. Okay. Koinonia is that overwhelming, I want to hang out with you mindset. Okay. A lot of times you'll see a human made koinonia is like if you've got two guys who like to hunt, they'll hang out together. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he can take age differences, he can take social background differences, he can take educational differences, he can take all the differences that you see that humanity is, and he brings them into oneness of Jesus Christ. And it becomes something that we're all excited about. It's all excited about. Okay? That takes us to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, is that maintain the unity of the Spirit. Okay, do you understand that? I see so many people trying to make unity, and it's already there. You know what our biggest problem is? Quit being divisive. Quit being divisive. It isn't that complicated. Okay? Well, there's doctrinal issues. Study the Bible. There aren't doctrinal issues. The Bible's still the Bible. Now, if a person comes up to you and says, well, that's your interpretation, then look at them as they're lost. The Holy Spirit indwelling me has revealed truth to me. There's not multiple interpretations. Multiple applications. But not multiple interpretations. Okay? That took me, I concluded last week, and I'm going to go back there briefly because I have some other places I want to go. To 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Okay? Now remember, Ephesians 4.3 says, The Holy Spirit has already created unity. It's already there. We only maintain that unity. All right, now how does that look? Well, I want to go back to this because this is a fascinating text. First Thessalonians, first three chapters, the, all the Apostle Paul do is commends this church. This is an amazing group of people. Chapter 4, he says, but by the way, you need to excel more. And he goes through and deals with some things that would be in their society that you need to just overcome this stuff. Okay? Chapter 5 <clears throat> talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ, first 11 verses, because there were people who were dying in the body of Christ in Thessalonica. And what happens to them? And I mean, it just, you know, we're all saved and we're waiting for Jesus and Uncle Bob died. What happened? Okay, so he explains that. And then verse 12, he says, I want to get back to this. I want to explain to you what you need to be doing. Here's what he says. We request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord, give you instruction, and you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live at peace with one another. Okay, what he's saying there is that the congregation should look after the pastor teachers should appreciate them and esteem them very highly. Okay? The word appreciate in the original language means to know them. To know them. You need to, he says, get to know the pastor in an intimate relationship so you become very good friends, very dear, very close to one another. Why? 
Because they have a sparkling personality? Because they're a charismatic speaker, a gifted speaker? No. Why? Because of their work. Because of their work. It should be the Christian's responsibility to get to know them. What do we push? We try to push a chain. You ever try to push a chain? Try it. We believe, the congregation believes, it's the pastor's responsibility to get to know me. And the Bible says, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Do you understand that? That's what he says. Why? Because you need to esteem them in love. Do do, do you understand what he's getting at in that text? There becomes this relationship. Let me explain it to you in, in, in my simple terms. Okay? My simple terms. If you get to be their buddy, they're a lot tougher to fire. Isn't it? If you have a relative, a brother, a sister, and I'm talking about an intimate relative, and they are just a bonehead. And they keep calling you about once a month on a Friday night saying, can you bail me out of jail? What's your response? I'll be down a little bit. Right? Why? Because you know them. Now, if the pastor calls and says he wants to bail out of jail, you think real hard about that one, all right? <laughs> So you, you kind of get the picture of the illustration here. All right. All right. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me illustrate this. It is responsibility of the saints of God to get to know the men who are in charge over them. Now, I, I do want to give you a specific here. I mean, I can sit up here and say, you know, yes, it has to do with financials. It has to do with this. Yes. But I want to show you the one here, the verse here that gives me, I have to get into trouble with. It says, those who diligently labor among you. The word diligently labor right there is actually one word in the original language, and it's a veterinary term, and it speaks about when a horse would strain itself and tear a muscle. Okay? So, when you find a pastor who is willing to work to the point of exhaustion in the Word, you'd better get to know him, and you'd better esteem them highly. You got that? So if you ever find one, <laughs> let's get him, <laughs> all right? Because, because you want that. Why? Because that's their job, all right? If you take the family, all right? Now I want to talk about a family, the genetic family, the common life family, the husband, wife, the children, okay? If you ever watch the family, and I've even seen this with step families, you know, stepchildren. Have you ever watched the family unit <clears throat> between the husband and wife and, the, and the, the children and then the sibling interaction? That the family all basically will start having a similar intellect. Okay, what? Yeah, a similar intellect. What I mean by that, they'll be talking about the same thing. You'll even hear them sometimes saying same phrases, won't they? Right? They talk about it. And then all of a sudden you'll watch those children grow and their values and their judgments will be based on what the parents' values, the parents' thinking was. Right? Okay? Now who goes out and plans that? You don't. Why does that happen? 
there's an intimate relationship. Isn't there? Right? And I mean, I've even heard it said that sometimes they'll even start looking alike. And I'm praying that that don't happen. Okay? Honey, if you start looking like me, I'm in trouble. Okay? But, but you know, I mean, but you, you see it passed down in, in the genes. I mean, you can look at children and say, that's your father. Okay? I went to a, we- a wedding, a funeral, a couple of years ago, with some relatives on my dad's side. Now, you got to remember, I'm almost 50. My dad died when I was 12. Okay? I went and seen these relatives in, just outside of Atlanta. And I hadn't, the last time I had seen my cousin Jeff, um, he wasn't old enough yet to play baseball. Okay, Little League Baseball. He wasn't old enough. Okay, now he's married with a kid. Okay, and they all got PhDs and all the rest of it. Anyway, I run into a whole bunch of relatives, and they could look at me across the room and say, you're Jim Ball's son, aren't you? And I hadn't seen some of these people in 40 years. How did they know that? I have physical characteristics. And not only that, I had this one old woman, and I think she was just senile. She says, you even walk like your daddy. I was like, my daddy's been dead a long time. I don't even know what my daddy walked like. Okay. But do you see what that is? Okay. Why? There's an intimate relationship that is there. That is, you can get to know people, but what else happens? You come out of the same gene pool. Right? Mine was the shallow end. All right? But you also find out that the, the family literally becomes emotional. Right? There starts these emotional things that will stir, whether it's anger, whether it's happiness, whether it's sadness, whether it's this overwhelming joy, and all the rest of it will be based on that family unit, right? The family will respond pretty much in the same way, okay? Why? They've learned together. You'll even see them making choices that are similar, won't you? Now, I gave you that because that is true of the church. True church. Okay? Looks just like that. Paul, chapter 1 says, chapter 2 says, I want you to start teaching the same things, saying the same things, and having the same judgments. You know what he's talking about? You guys all need to be united. You need to be family. You need to be family. Now, I can just look at this group right here and say, man, we've got people that cover the board. I mean, in age differences, uh, we can, in educational differences, and job differences, and social differences, some are ready to retire, some wish they were, some are not even thinking about working or jobs. I'm still trying to get through a, uh, an English test or whatever. You play it all out there, and yet the body of Christ says we are but one. We are but one. Whether you're a part of it or not, the body of Christ is one. Listen, I'll never forget this. Uh, a year ago, I preached a, a sermon at a, a little bitty church. little dinky thing. I think there was about eight or nine people there. And this one woman was there that looked like she had probably came over with Moses. I mean, I mean she might have been 25, but <laughs> she looked, I mean, just... 
weathered. I got out of that one, didn't I? <laughs> she was weathered. Okay? And it was a celebration for the church in Russia. They were celebrating what they call Proclamation Day. It was when Gabriel the angel had come and told Mary she was with child. And they said, we want you to preach. And I said, all right. And they said, what are you going to preach? I said, Revelation 5. Revelation 5. Why not the gospel? Revelation 5 is because of the gospel. That little baby was born so that the lamb that looked as if slain could take back the title deed of existence. Okay? I started preaching that through an interpreter in the power of the Holy Spirit to saints who are listening in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that woman was weeping and I thought that woman was going to jump up and run out. Enjoy. And I can't speak her language. She just came up to me, grabbed my hand, and was going like this. This is a sign of honor. Wiping her tears on my hand after the message. Now, I don't know. Maybe the interpreter was a better preacher than I was. But whatever it was, I was like, dude, this is it. Now, then you think that I'm crazy about that. That church was meeting in this little bitty. It isn't as big as our foyer house. Remember we took up a love offering last year? We needed four grand to put another room so they could have a Sunday school class. They literally took the top off that house, put a whole floor on it, and now they're pushing over 200 people. Last summer they baptized 57 people, 57 kids, and they knew that they were going to have problems with that. This town of about 15,000, about the size of Castle Rock, had never had Christ named in it. Now there's a 200-member church there. I didn't do that. Neither did Gennady. That's the pastor. Holy Spirit did it. And they're united. Here's this woman that I could look at who had been under communism. Remember, we used to hate communists. Some of you may not remember that. I I grew up hating communists. Didn't know why. Think they wanted to blow us up and we were thinking we should blow them up. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Here I am walking among these people and the unity of something that I can't grasp. And people say, I need a miracle. Yo, dude, bow to what he's giving you. Okay? There's a commonness that the Spirit of God has created in the church. Where we will literally start, you know what, we're going to start feeling the same. We're going to start acting the same. We're going to start saying the same things. I hope we don't start walking the same. But how we do, that's a God thing. We'll just go with it. All right? It is not up to you and me to create this thing. It is up to us to stop interrupting this thing. How does the Holy Spirit get this done? Well, it's a miracle. Okay, but how does He get it done? How does this thing happen? He generates that unity. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. I, I kind of got onto this thing last in my Sunday school class. We're talking about personal holiness, the highway of holiness, Isaiah 35. Okay, how do we do that? Okay, it, it's, it's really simple. Okay, you guys, some of you remember my milk stool illustration? Okay, three-legged stool. All right, you, you have the Word of God, and I prayer. Okay. You know, and I've heard it said, you know, that prayer will drive you to the word. The word will drive you to prayer. Okay. But once you have those two, if you just had those two, you're all right if you're sitting on a milk stool, huh? As long as nothing jumped up in your lap. Something jumped up in your lap. Whoa. I'm going to fall over. But God says, here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to have the word of God. I'm going to have the spirit of God. But I'm also going to have the saints of God. 
So now you have a three-legged stool, and you can sit on that thing, and anything can jump up in your lap, and guess what? You sit solid. But here's where we go next. If you are doing those three, out of that, the Holy Spirit will generate unity because He gave every saint of God who is obedient to the things of God, the three-legged stool, a ministry to everyone else. To everyone else. Okay, ministry. A service to everyone else. But you can never serve... Now listen, you can never truly serve in the power of God unless you've been in the Word, on your knees, and in the fellowship of the saints. Okay, it's impossible. Why? He won't do it. Who gets the glory? God does. And God says, I got one way to get her done. One way to get her done. And the people that you see united in the body of Christ, the oneness of the family, are what? The ones who are in the Word, on their knees, in the fellowship, and serving. You know what? You don't even hear them grumbling. You don't hear them grumbling. You know why? They're not doing it. The people who are serving, who are grumbling, are doing it in the power of their flesh. Galatians chapter 3 says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What you have begun in the spirit, you now perfect in the flesh. What do you see in the body of Christ today? What do you see? I see people who are doing it in the power of the flesh. And when it doesn't go their way or they don't get their expectation or it doesn't have the outcome that they explain, what do they do? It's an automatopoeic word. Church is full of them. But think about them. Are they in the Word? Are they on their knees? Are they faithful to the fellowship of the saints? Are they serving in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, if you grumble, guess what? You just served in the power of your flesh. It's no problem. It's no problem. It's a piece of cake. Okay? First time you get mad about it because that person treated you this way or that person said this or you know what, I got ready for a Bible study and nobody showed up. I ain't doing that no more. You know what you just said? Me and my flesh ain't getting along. Okay? Look at any given body of people and you will see. It's amazing to me because when I go through the, the disciples, Jesus' 12 disciples, if you look at it, the core three always the same. First three are always the same. Then it comes out to the next ring, and it's the same, and it's the next thing, and it's the next thing. And guess who's out on that outside ring? Judas is scared. Why? He did not get to know Jesus. You want to see a church functioning? You should get to know who's teaching. And is he diligent? And is he laboring at it? Is he working hard at it? And do you see the power of God changing his life? I mean, one of the requirements for an elder that nobody ever pays attention to? Okay? Your spiritual growth is evident to all men. 
They literally see God changing him. How many of us think, well, he's got a PhD in whatever, and therefore he is what? God? No. Why? It's a mind-boggling to me, but the church is willing to go out and get a complete stranger to take care of your eternal destiny. Based on what? Well, he went to school. Really? What school did Peter go to? I mean, he only pre- his first sermon only got 3,000 people saved. That's kind of weird. Dude, he should have got into hermeneutics and homiletics. You know, how many points did he have in his first sermon? Yeah, one great big one. Jesus. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? What have we done? Now listen, I'm not against seminary. That's not what I'm saying. It says that every child of God, please hear me, every child of God should rightly divide truth. Show themselves what? A worker of proof. The person who says that Timothy and Titus are pastoral epistles needs to be slapped. They're not. They're not pastoral epistles. They're for you and me. I mean, I was preaching Hebrews and the guy says, why are you preaching that? Well, it's in the Bible. Well, that's for Jews. What? Then what's the Old Testament? That was for Jews too, wasn't it? I don't even like Babylon. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? It's the Word of God. Which part? All of it. Jesus said, in case you were curious, it's just jotting the tittles. That would be the commas and the crossing of your T's and the dotting of your I's. See what we've done? Why does the church not show unity? Because most people say, I'm going to hire ministers. We get enough butts in the seats. We get enough offering, we can have a pastor, we can get a youth pastor, we can get a a singles pastor, we can get a divorce recovery pastor, we can get a hospital pastor, we can get a funeral pastor, we can get a da-da-da-da just down the line. Why? So I don't have to do nothing. I just keep writing checks. You know what you just did? Caused division in the body of Christ. When we get to know one another, we will begin to talk like one another. We'll begin to walk with like one another. We'll begin to think together. You know what even happened? We'll even begin to feel together. Our emotions will start crying together. We will start rejoicing together. We will start being one together. We will start having a fellowship that is so close that it's even greater than what is genetic in the family. I mean, I read the Apostle Paul in chapter 10, I think it is, of 2 Corinthians. He says, here's my credentials. I was shipwrecked. I was beaten with rods. I was this. I was that. You know, stoned and left for dead. You know what his last one was that just really ticks me off? My daily concern for the church. That's amazing. It's amazing. How many people in the body of Christ have a daily concern for the body of Christ? And those are the people, I'll tell you, that are either not... In the Word, they're not on their knees, and they're definitely not in the fellowship, and you don't ever have to worry about them serving. Why? They don't have a concern for the body of Christ. And yet, it is the body of Christ, the church that was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That's amazing to me. He brought us all together. 
He joined us in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, not only that, I will infuse my power through my spirit, through your vessels, and the world will look at it and say, look how they love one another. My gosh, my gosh, look how unified they are. They are so unified, they look like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the world will say, I want what you have. Look at the church today. Is that what you see? See why the Apostle Paul in chapter 12, verse 1 says, I don't want you to be unaware of this. That's amazing stuff, people. You know what? When you start having that intimate relationship through the Holy Spirit, through the teaching of the Word, through prayer, through the fellowship of the saints, through the serving and the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what? If you're not careful, you even start hanging out together. It's crazy. You may even sit down and say, hey, you want to watch a football game or a hockey game with me? Why? Because there's a common eternal life that is the basis for unity. It's critical. It is absolutely critical that we minister to each other. Absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. Because in that is how we will guard the unity. You've seen, listen, this church in the time that I have been here, we have sent people out and I've rejoiced at them going out. Okay? They were trained up and they've taken on different positions. And you know what I always know is that because they go someplace that is already there, okay, they know where they're going, and no sooner are they there, they plug in and are being used in the new body of people that they're in. Okay? But I've seen far more who walk away blaming God. God is leading me. Where? Out. Out where? Out. And then you hear that fundamental phrase, I'm church shopping. What are you saying? I have not been in the Word. I have not been on my knees. I have not been in the fellowship of the saints. I did not serve. And therefore, I am not unified with this group of people. Therefore, I am going to go shopping. Shopping. I've literally had people who've come to this church and said, I wanted to come to this church. And I said, why are you leaving the other church? Well, I just didn't get along. I said, you're not welcome here. Get it dealt with to the other church. Get it dealt with the other church. And then I'll talk to your pastor. And if he says that this is peace and it's amicable, then you come. Let's figure that out for a minute. When do you see that done? Yet that's what the Bible teaches. I see people who withdraw. As soon as they withdraw, they will enter into a gap. Okay? And when they enter into that gap, know this. The first characteristic that you will see is that they will stop considering others more important than themselves. Okay? It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And once they stop considering others more important than themselves, how much unity is there? None. What was going on in church in Corinth? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Yo, I'm of Cephas. Yo, you spiritual pagans, I'm of Jesus. They weren't talking the same. They weren't making the same judgments. There was confusion setting in. 
the way in which we minister to one another is through the spiritual power, the spirituals, the spiritual gift, the, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Whether it is speaking, whether it is serving. Most think that teaching is this amazing thing. Yet the greatest lessons that I've ever learned have been from serving. Greatest lessons, please hear me. It's from serving. I mean doing dumb things. Putting brakes on cars. Changing oil in cars. Uh, I remember one lady, she just kept running into everything. And I was always pulling out the bumper or the fender or something because I was like, gee, many crickets, I should pray for your driving skills. But, I, you know, she would call. Can you? Yes. So just okay, come along, beat it out a hammer and, you know. Uh, you know, I, I didn't say I was good at it. I just said, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. You don't want me to fix your glass. But, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? It's just serving. Some of the greatest lessons I've learned are from men and women who've never said a word, but their lives walked in the image of Jesus Christ. They never taught. They just lived. And you just sit there and go, whoa. I was talking about Henry Fiontek this morning. That man never had a Sunday school class. And yet God gave me the privilege to read the whole book of Psalms just before he died. I finished up the book of Psalms and he died. Because I knew that was a favorite book of his. And yet the whole time he always told me, he says, Terry, I can feed on the television. There's good teaching on some television shows and all the rest of it. He says, I missed the fellowship of the saints. And I learned that. I learned that from Henry. I learned that from Hank and Donna Smith. I learned that from so many different people. There was a faithfulness that was always there. Why? We are here to serve. I am on Jesus' altar. I consider every one of you more important than myself. And the people who walk away, first thing you will notice, others are no longer more important than themselves. Okay, as soon as you step into that, you've either cut out your word, you've cut out your prayer, you've definitely cut out the fellowship, and I don't even have to worry about you serving. Which is probably good. Okay? Because you're not. Those who are not serving in the power of the Holy Spirit are in a place that they can be used for division. The gifts are spiritual. It's a God-given capacity through which the Holy Spirit supernaturally just ministers and serves the body of Christ. It ain't you. It ain't your talents. It is a body that says, I'm in the Word, I'm on my knees, I love the fellowship. These people are more important to me than anything else in my existence. Father, pour me out as a drink offering. That's amazing stuff. Listen, my gift, my primary gift, and and I'm going to deal with this. If you'll go back to your text, you'll see that there's a word there of varieties. There's varieties in verse 4. There's varieties in verse 5. There's varieties in verse 6. Okay? But you'll also see a word in verse 6 and verse 11. One says effects and one says distributing. Okay? Both of those words are the same in the original language. And it literally means power. Okay? The primary emphasis of my gift right now is preaching and exhortation. Okay? I minister to you as the Spirit of God energizes me and empowers me to do this. Okay, this is something that I cannot do humanly. I don't have the ability. I don't like standing up in front of people. It's never been a strong suit of mine. Okay, I've never liked that in my entire life. I don't like that. I don't mind sitting down at a coffee table or something and sharing with somebody. I like that. But God says, no, here's what we're going to do. And I said, you better be going before me. Because 
the same thing the Spirit must do through you that is not humanly possible for you. Because then who gets the glory? Okay, listen, if you're not on a stool, don't ever worry about it. If you're not in the Word, you're not on your knees, and you're not in the fellowship, don't worry about ministering your gift. You may use your talent, but you'll never use your gift. See, listen, your spiritual gift is not cooking and eating. Okay, we have these, uh, what do you call them, potlucks and dinners. Don't get me wrong, I like those. There's nothing spiritual about it. I'm hungry, feed me. Right? But we get to know each other. No, we don't. Um, Wednesday nights, we're meeting with that other church, and I watch it every time. Our church, whoever's here from our church, all goes sets at one table, and their church sets at the other table. There ain't nothing unifying about that. Craziest thing I've ever seen. We're coming together for fellowship. You stay over there. <laughs> I mean, what is up? Well, how do I know? Well, you know, you'll never know if you don't talk to them. To consider others more important than yourself can never be done humanly. Can't be done humanly. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Your spiritual gift is unique. It's amazing. It's a capacity to minister, to serve the whole body of Christ. And it's a channel, um, a, a, a conduit, whatever you want to call it, which the Spirit of God supernaturally, miraculously touches the lives of other people. You can't do that. You have no ability. Therefore, it's critical. So what is the source? Well, it says here there's varieties of power, but the same God. Okay, verse 11 says, There is one and the same Spirit which works all things distributing, is the New American Standard Translation. It literally means empowering each one individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit does it. He empowers people. He accomplishes this. There is an interchange of thought. There's an interchange of feeling. There's an interchange of source of, of choices. There's a, all dimensions of the human life are all wound together in the person of the Holy Spirit and it's energized and it's poured out into the people. It's necessary. It's urgent. It's critical. It's important. That's why Paul wrote chapter 12, 13, and 14. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I don't want you to be unaware about this. Basically, what he's saying is, you really need to know this. They don't function, then there will not be this wondrous, beautiful, amazing, miraculous unity that is necessary so that the church can manifest the person of Jesus Christ. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. Verse 8 said, one is given the word of wisdom. What does that mean? What's the word of wisdom? That would be the 66 books that make up your Bible. Okay? It's a pretty interesting thought. Look at verse 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts and helps, administration of various kinds of tongues. You know what the main focus of there is? Teaching. Teaching what? The Word of God. These are given to individual believers. It's amazing. It's miraculous. They are capacities. They are abilities through which the Spirit of God ministers to His church. Now, I want to back up. I want to show you these two power things, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Okay? 
Verse 6 says there are varieties. Read that word varieties. That's amazing. You know what that means in the original language? Varieties. <laughs> okay? When I see people saying, I'm trying to figure out if my gift is administration or my gift is helps or my gift is this or my gift is that, you know what you're missing? Varieties. It's varieties. When I see a person who's in the Word, who's on their knees, who's in the fellowship and is serving in the power of God, I'll tell you what your gift is. Why? Everybody around you will tell you what your gift is. Why? It is so evident that everybody sees it whether you do or not. We spend too much time saying, what is my gift? Well, get in the Word, get on your knees, get in the fellowship, and guess what? God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine. That's good stuff. That ought to freak you out. I I was talking to the guys in our Sunday school class. I said, when I first found that verse in Ephesians 3, that God would do abundantly, exceedingly abundant what you could think or imagine. How cool is that? I'd like to preach at Yankee Stadium. God, you don't know what you started. I got an imagination that is just out of this world. And God says, really? How about preaching at the synagogue across the street from the house where the apostle Peter lived? Oh. How about preaching at a church in downtown London that's older than America? How about preaching in the First Baptist Church in Moscow? First church that stood up at the collapse of communism. 1,500 people. Won't go there. Hey, how about you who used to be a drug addict and a drug dealer and just as crazy as a loon? How about you getting credentials through the seminary in Russia and you start accrediting pastors to teach them how to walk and talk in Jesus Christ? What was that about Yankee Stadium? That's what gotta get. That's more than I imagined. That's more than I imagined. You know what my education is? I sit down and read the book. Let me show you something here. Verse 11, verse 6 says, you have energy. We have energy. Okay? Remember verse 2. You used to be carried away. You used to go in chains to dumb idols, mute idols. Okay? You used to be that way, Right? Okay? But he says, understand, this energy is the same Lord. This energy is the same Spirit. This energy is the same God, right? We all got that? Now go to Romans chapter 12. That'd be just to the left, a couple of pages. Romans 12. I want to show you this. This is really good stuff, man. Romans chapter 12, verse uh, hmm, 4. Yeah, that'll work. Go to verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all those members do not have the same function. Did you get that? The Apostle Paul is speaking of the body of Christ, the incarnation of Christ. He says, although that we are many members, okay, just look right here. Just look around you. You see this? You got Ron, you got um, uh, Karen, and you, you got all these different people. You got Amy, Kim, everybody. See, you're all different members, okay? In case you were not noticing, we all look a little different too, don't we? Okay, well, that would imply different members, okay? And all members do not have the same function. Right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now I want to show you something. Okay. Now drop down to verse 6. 
I'll use five. So we who are many, okay, we who are many, members in one body, all are members. We do not have the same function. We are one body. What is that body? Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. Okay? That's what the, the marriage union is. Did you get that? Do you understand that? God created marriage so he could show the relationship between lost man and him. They are one. And the husband is to what? Love his wife as Christ loved the church, died for her? Why? So the woman will submit? It's just really amazing when you watch the miracle of what it does. And then he says, oh, by the way, that's how the church is. The same union that exists between a husband and a wife is the same union that is in the body of Christ. That's amazing. Okay. Some of you don't seem amazed. That's all right. We'll move on. I'm amazed. Okay. I've been married long enough to say that's amazing. Okay. Look at verse 6. Now watch. Since we have gifts that differ. Okay. Right. Some of us do different things in the body of Christ that differ according to what? The grace given to us. Now you just want to hear what he just said? There's a measure of... You know, everybody knows what the definition of grace is in the original language. It is unmerited favor. So there's different levels in this body of people today of unmerited favor. All right, look what he says. It's given to us, each one, to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, then it will what? To what? It will be in proportion to the faith. Brothers and sisters, he's saying, what I have for you and empowering you, I have given you the grace to be able to accomplish it. But not only that, I have given you the faith to enable it. (laughs) Dude, so what do I got to do? Nothing. Stand there. That's all you got to do. Why? He says, I will empower you and I will give you the measure of faith needed to even get her done. I like that. I don't care what your gift is. If it's serving, if it's administration, if it's health, if it's languages, if it's miracles, if it's healings, if it's preaching, if it's teaching, I don't care what it is. God says, I will give you the power to get it done and I will give you the ability to believe in what I'm doing. You know what I like about that from the pastor's viewpoint? No one is without excuse. He has not asked you to do anything that he has not equipped you empowered you and provided you to do because the unity is already there I just need a vessel I mean I like that I like that you know why that's idiot proof I don't know about you I'm an idiot And I just look at that and say, oh, dude, sign me up. I don't have to do nothing. Be in the book. If you're saved, you should want to be in the book. Okay? 
Be on your knees. Why? Uh, you know prayer is the greatest sign of humility? Listen, every one of you will admit that there was a time before you got saved when you prayed though, huh? Right? Didn't you? I mean, when you got to the end of your rope, just got yourself into a mess, what'd you do? I pray. You know, I, I laugh and I say, we're going to take prayer out of school. Really? As long as there's tests in school, there'll be prayers. <laughs> you ain't going to remove it. I do, but that's a sign of humility. Once I'm in prayer, once I'm in the Word, then all of a sudden it dawns on me, this glorious, magnificent, miraculous, amazing, loving creature that is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that is the church. And all of a sudden I sit there and go, God, I won't be a part of that. Well, do you have to be in church every day? Well, what's your options? I prefer to spend most of my time in the world. Brilliant. You know what? You walk like the world. You talk like the world. Perhaps you are the world. Once I have those three, then all of a sudden it just dawns on me. I'm considering others more important than myself. And God is doing miracles through these things that I'm doing. And you just sit there and go, wow, wow. And it's the same power source that spoke existence into being. And you never know. Maybe you'll get to preach at Yankee Stadium. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word and your spirit. Lord, I just praise you for what you have shown me. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters, as they are such an encouragement to me, Father, I never take them for granted. Father, let us bow before your throne. Father, let us rejoice at your church. Let us rejoice at the amazing things you already have done. But Father, with an eager expectation, the amazing things you will do. Father, I just praise you for these people. Praise you for what you're going to do. Father, I praise you for the doors that are open. And Father, may we with a boldness and an eagerness step through and say, not my will, but yours be done. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. To our Savior, Savior alone.